You know, I'm sure that like me, you've either been to a museum, you've been to a, like a football or baseball hall of fame, or maybe even the rock and roll hall of fame. And you look at some of these heroes and you go, gee, I could never be that good. I could never be great. And we look at them and we tend to think of them as being superhuman beings almost. When you read the book of Hebrews, you'll read this hall of faith that I've heard it called ever since I was a little boy in church. We got to Hebrews chapter 11, and our pastor and others would call it the hall of faith. And we'd look at these men and women of faith and think, I could never be like that. But the people in the Bible, they were people, human beings, flesh and blood, just like you and me. No more, no less. But what we read is their story of faith and how they went from precept to precept, how they climbed a little bit higher in their life, always answering the question, where do I go from here? And I think there's an important story in the Bible that I would like to look at about that. We've lived through some very wonderful times here at Woodland Church together. We have lived through periods of revival. We've lived through periods of seeing people come to Christ and people being baptized in water, people called to ministry, called to mission field. Matter of fact, we have a young man right now who is at uh, School of Missions being prepared for his journey. He's finished with his college education, started in his career, and God has called him to serve overseas. And in a few more weeks, we'll be telling you all about that as we help him get lost down on his journey. We've lived through the birth of children and grandchildren. Some of my greatest times have been dedicating babies here at our church. But we've also lived through some very dark times. We lived through Y2K, remember that? We lived through the dot-com bubble bust. We lived through a great recession when our houses and our buildings and our assets just suddenly plummeted in value. We had so many people that we loved that were a part of this congregation, brothers and sisters, people involved in ministry, people who were running small groups, leading ministries for us, involved in the community, that suddenly they were being moved out of Michigan to other places in the country. We still miss them. We will be, Becky and I will be seeing some of those friends this weekend who are coming back to visit, and we're so excited. We also have lived through the most painful time yet, and that was through the COVID-2020 crisis. I know we all remember what it was like uh, not to be able to gather with our families Thanksgiving and Christmas. For me personally, I lost count of how many funerals that I had to do. I know this past December, in the month of December alone, I buried 10 people and all of them who passed away, passed away with the exception of one because of a COVID symptom. But through it all, this congregation has not lost its focus on what God has called us to be. God called us to an impossible task, and we sum that up in a, in a mission statement here at Woodland Church that I know that you know if you're part of this church, celebrating God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And I have to tell you, I was so proud as the pastor of this church as I watched people from our church taking care of the sick during COVID, as I watched them delivering groceries, doing sidewalk children's ministries where children could gather on porches or on their lawns, and, and we socially distanced, and we went into subdivisions, and we did children's ministries for them, our youth ministries, I, just so many things that I would run out of time to tell you about. But I was so proud of our congregation and the way that you responded. 
But each phrase of our mission statement is an important statement. Think about it for just a moment, celebrating God's love. For us, that's how we talk about worship. And worship is more than the songs we sing here at Woodland or lifting our hands in church. But as Romans 12 and verse 1 and 2 teaches us, we're called to be living sacrifices. We want to live our lives every single day, every single moment. We want to live to the glory of God. We want to joyfully worship Him. And to live that way, it's simply impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Today, I was praying with someone that God would give them a new heart. And as I was praying that prayer over them today, I believe God is working in their heart physically, but also spiritually as well, because the Holy Spirit does give us a heart, a passionate heart to follow Christ, persuading people. You know, we've worked hard to learn how to share our faith, to have those one to two minute windows. I I had lunch today with a university student and he was telling me about sharing his faith in a part of the country where it's really a challenge to, to be able to share your faith. Christians are ridiculed, they're mocked, they're not welcome in public squares. He was telling me about how that their campus ministry was denied opportunities to, to be involved, that by right they should have had an opportunity to be involved, but his spirit stayed sweet and he shared the love of Jesus Christ and I'm so very proud of him as he begins his graduate education. We've learned that it's important to love lost people. Do you know lost people really matter to God? And do you know God loves lost people? I mean, that's why you and I have been born again. For God so loved the world. He's not angry at the world. He so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We've, we've learned how important it is to build relationships with lost people. And even if they don't cross the line and give their hearts to Jesus, we remain friends with them because to say, well, I'm not going to be friends with you because you don't give your heart to Jesus, well, that inauthenticates. Is that a real word, inauthenticates? It inauthenticates everything we've tried to represent who Jesus is in their life. And again, it's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. And then think about this phrase, passionate followers of Christ. We worked hard to to get this phrase and to put it together because to be a passionate follower of Christ means that you become like a seed that is planted in the ground. You die to yourself and you live to Christ. I was probably five, six years old. I remember my dad uh, taking me out and showing me about planting corn. And they as the corn was being planted, I, I asked him, I said, what's going to happen to it? Because it was buried in the ground. It was covered up. And he said, you watch, you wait, you'll see. A few days later, my dad carried me back out into the field and we squatted down and he scratched in the soil and he says, look, fella. And there was these grains of corn that were beginning to sprout and he covered it back up. And then a few days later, he took me back out in the field, and there was row after row of all these green corn stalks that were coming up. And then later, of course, there was this wonderful harvest that took place. And I guess what I want you to take away from this is it's so important that we learn what it means to die to ourselves and live to Christ, because we're like those seeds. You know, you can keep a seed for a long time, but eventually that seed is going to rot and decay. And when it rots and decays without being planted, it doesn't bring forth the potential that it has. But when we are buried in Christ, 
Jesus says when we're like a seed and we, we die to ourselves, we're buried in Christ, then suddenly the full potential of our life comes forth as we live for him. God wants to make you 30, 60, 100-fold productive and fruitful in your life. Listen, fruitfulness is fun. Not being productive, not being fruitful, there's no life in that. But again, it doesn't happen unless you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. So I want to say to you today, if your life is falling apart, if you feel like you're not fruitful, consider whether or not you've become a living sacrifice. Are you a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? Let me say it again. We exist to celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ Jesus. In the back of my mind, there's always something that Stephen Covey said that, that just resides there, and I think about it a lot. And Covey said, you need to think about the day of your death, what people are going to say about you at your funeral, what you want them to say. I was talking to my family and saying, I think I'm going to go ahead and plan out my funeral and plan out all the songs and the scriptures that I want. And all of a sudden, my sons and my wife go, oh, no, no, you're not. We're going to plan your funeral. And I remember my oldest son saying, Dad, I can't wait to tell some stories about your life. Well, that's fair because they have certainly been the subjects and the illustrations of a lot of sermons of mine. But I want to talk to you about a man that maybe you've never heard of before. His name is Eleazar. Eleazar was a servant to someone that you have heard of, and his name was Abraham. And when Abraham was a very old man, his son had grown up. And in those days, it was the custom that a father would find a, 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 a husband for his daughter or a, son, or a wife for his son. And he told his servant, Eleazar, he said, I want you to go back to the land of my birth, and I want you to find a wife for my son. And of course, the servant said, well, what if I can't find the kind of woman you want me to find? Should I take Isaac back there? And he goes, no, never. Promise never to take my son back to the land of idolatry. Friends, once Christ has saved you, don't go back into the world. Continue to be a passionate follower of Jesus. And so Eleazar prayed. He went with the blessings of of his master Abraham, and he went to find a wife for Isaac. It's a beautiful story how he sought God for guidance and direction along each step of the way. And when he arrived in his homeland, he happened upon a young girl that was watering uh, her family's livestock. And he had this train of camels that was with him, and he, he prayed a prayer, again, impossible without the Holy Spirit. He says, Lord, if this is the girl, then let her offer not only to give me a drink of water, but let her offer to water my camels. I have read that a camel can drink 70 gallons of water at the time. Imagine that. So he's got, let's just say he's got five camels. She's got all of this water to draw, and she, she meets him. She says, sir, let me give you a drink of water, but here, let me water your camels as well. And of course, God supernaturally led him there. He answered his prayer. And to make a long, beautiful love story short, you need to read this story. You know, he, he, he told her why he had came. He told her family why he had came. And one of the things that really stands out to me is that you and I, that we're called like Eleazar. We're called to seek lost people. We call, we're called to help lead people to Christ because the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. 
And as we lead people to Jesus, we become a part of the church, which is his bride. And if we will pray, God will give us opportunities. If we will pray, God will make us sensitive to those moments when we can speak encouragement into people's lives. They don't need discouragement. They don't need condemnation, but they need our encouragement to them. And as we pray like Eliezer, God will lead us to those right relationships. Well, once Eliezer had explained to the family, they they looked at the daughter. She was willing to go. But then the family said, look, let's delay your trip. Friends, never delay with what God is calling you to do. Then they said, well, let's, let's have a feast. Let's stay here and feast. Let's never stop to feast when God has got you on a mission. I have discovered in my life of almost 50 years of pastoral ministry, listen, when people begin to love food and comfort and they procrastinate on serving the Lord, their hearts grow cold. And when their hearts grow cold, they tend to wonder. When we become more interested in the gifts that the Father gives us rather than loving the Father who gives those gifts, then we begin to miss the touch of God in our lives, that supernatural element of our lives. It's, it's not weird. It's not even really super mystical. It's just that there are those times when we know this is the right time to speak into somebody's life. This is the right time to help somebody. This is the right time to make that call. The Holy Spirit leads us as we live lives of living worship, as we seek to persuade others to follow Christ and as we celebrate his love. Now, Eliezer said these words in Genesis chapter 24 and 27. This is one of the verses of Scripture that I have adopted in my life. As for me, the Lord has led me on my journey. Friend, I pray you can say the same thing. I know that Becky and I can testify that God has led us. As a matter of fact, we enjoy talking about all those different mile markers in our lives where we can look back where God spoke to us and led us. It wasn't an audible voice, but we knew that God was directing us. And like so many people, like so many marriages, like so many businesses, our nation, I fear, is losing its way. I fear that families are losing their way. I feel that sometimes people are losing their way. The more conversations that I have with them, because they have somehow or another lost their focus of living for the glory of God. And the more we live for ourselves, then the more we tend to get lost. Let me illustrate that. After this wonderful experience, Eleazar brings back uh, Rebecca to become the, the wife of Isaac. There's a beautiful love story there. They begin their marriage together. The Bible tells it so beautifully and so poetically. But if you fast forward a few years, something has happened to their marriage. They've lost their way. Something has happened to their family. Their family has lost their way. Their father, Isaac, has become a lover of comfort and food. The mother has become an instigator and an antagonist among the brothers. She's pit brothers against brother. The father has a favorite son. The mother has a favorite son. And they're in competition. The older brother, he, he's, um, well, he's, he's living his life by the pleasures of the flesh. And he literally gives up the most valuable thing a young man could have had in that day. And it was his birthright. He sells it to his brother for a bowl of soup. And his brother, well, his brother Jacob is a cheat and a deceiver and ends up having to leave home because he deceives his brother. What happened? They lost their way. They, let, they got more comfortable with the comforts and the good things of life rather than serving God. 
If you fast forward from that, and I hope you'll be patient with me, but just fast forward a few hundred years, now their descendants, rather than being the people of God they were called to be, now they're slaves in Egypt, and they are grinding out daily in existence. Have you ever felt that way? Where you're just daily at the grind, you're just daily grinding out existence. Yesterday, someone who wasn't even here Sunday was talking to me, and they said, you know, Pastor, sometimes I feel like I'm just in a day-to-day grind trying to make it. And of course, I was able to share with them a little bit about this message. God doesn't want you to live in a day-to-day grind. As a matter of fact, I would say to you, beware of the grind. Beware of the grind. You see, Pharaoh treated the people of Israel like beasts rather than like human beings. Look at this verse of Scripture in Exodus chapter 5. Pharaoh replied to Moses and Aaron, Why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. You know, it's amazing to me employers that don't want their, their, their employees to go to church on Sunday or be able to go and worship, and they try to put pressure on them. Friends, we are not beasts. We need that one day in seven when we gather together and we lift our voices in praise to the Lord. And the people, because Pharaoh treated them like this, the grind got worse and worse and worse. And now they were demanding more and more and more. Just a few minutes ago, this just crossed my mind, and and I hate to go off on a rabbit trail, but just a few minutes ago, a friend of mine told me about someone that he knows that He's, he's, this individual is being called upon to do more and more and more, and it's keeping him from pursuing his dream. Let me say, beware of the grind. So ask yourself the question today, where do you feel like you're not making headway in your life? Where do you feel like you're not being fruitful in your life? Where does your life no longer have joy or that element of fun in it where you just love doing what you do? Well, look at this next passage from Ephesians 5, excuse me, Exodus chapter 5, verse 19. The Israelite foreman could see they were in serious trouble, and they confronted Moses and Aaron. May the Lord judge and punish you for making a stink before Pharaoh and his officials. Friends, it wasn't Moses' fault. It wasn't Aaron's fault. But have you ever noticed that sometimes we tend to blame, we tend to want and tar and feather the wrong people. The person that needed to be confronted was Pharaoh, and yet the people unwisely accused Moses and Aaron of causing them problems. So who are you blaming for your troubles? Who are you blaming for your problems? Maybe it's something you need to own up to yourself, or you need to take it to the Lord and say, God, I really need your help. Maybe you're even being oppressed by the wicked one who's come against you. So ask yourself, where's the grind? Where do you feel like you're not making headway? And secondly, understand this, the grind master is our adversary. Who is the grind master? Well, it's the devil. You know, we can blame our faults, we can blame our circumstances, we can blame the parents that we grew up with, we can blame our, 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 our culture, there's all kinds of things we can blame. But understand this, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but our warfare is against principalities and powers of darkness. The devil, like Pharaoh, is working against the purposes of God for his people. 
So you take a mission statement like ours, celebrating God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ, I can promise you that causes hell to tremble. And they will war against that. They will, will try to keep us from doing that. They might afflict your health. They might come against your finances. They might come against your home, your children. And the only way to defeat that is not in the power of the flesh, but it's by your word of your testimony and the blood of the Lamb. The Bible tells us to always be aware of the devil. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, you need to be aware, you need to be alert. There's an enemy, but you don't need to obsess over the fact that there's an enemy. If you ignore the fact and say, well, there's no such thing as the devil, then you open yourself up for attack. But if you're aware and you're daily praying, you're covering your family in your prayers, you're covering your marriage in your prayers, you're, you're seeking God's help and you're living as a living sacrifice, your life is buried in Christ, you're like that seed, the potential of your life will come forth and the enemy can be overcome. And this is how the Bible says that the power of God is manifest in our lives. The accuser, the devil, I'm looking at Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, the accuser of our brothers and sisters thrown out who accused them day and night before God. They defeated him through the blood of the lamb and the bold word of their witness. They weren't in love with themselves and they were willing to die for Christ. You and I may not be called upon to literally lay down our lives for Jesus, but other Christians in the world today, they are literally being called upon to lay down their lives for Jesus. But don't kid yourself, we can love our lives so much that we don't live lifestyles of worship. We can love our lives so much that we don't worry about lost people going to hell. We can live our lives where we love ourselves so much that we forget to passionately follow Christ, to live for the glory of God. So let's examine our lives. Let's examine ourselves. Where do we need the help of the Holy Spirit to live out this mission that God has given us? Because if we don't, eventually we come to a place of hopelessness. And hopelessness will always lead to despair. Hopelessness will always lead to despair. It's what happened to the children of Israel. It's what happened to Rebekah with her sons. She said to Jacob, Jacob, you've got to flee. Your brother is going to kill you. Esau, Jacob's brother, came to the point where he says, I'm going to kill him for what he's done for me. Isaac trembled and fell back. You see, hopelessness will lead you to despair. It'll keep you defeated. And I'm afraid that many people have become accustomed to defeat rather than success. I'm afraid that many people have become accustomed to failure rather than winning. That's a life of futility. It doesn't mean that we don't have ups and downs in our lives. But I love what Billy Graham said one time. Billy Graham says, I go up in my life, then it seems like I hit a plateau, and then I climb again. God can keep you steady. God can keep you level. When you're not climbing, he can keep you on an even plane. But there will come a time where God will eventually call you a little higher. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. I am not going to let anything make me a slave. Listen, don't let the pleasures of this life don't let your vocation, don't let your career, don't let anything make you a slave. Be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And then finally, God has sent you a deliverer. 
God had heard and he'd seen the pain of his people. There was a little boy named Moses. His mother loved him so much that she refused to allow his life to be terminated. She gave him up for adoption. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, grew up in the palace of Pharaoh. He learned architecture. He learned education. He learned mathematics. He learned agriculture. He learned how to to, to find his way according to the stars through the desert and through the wilderness. And God would take all of this training that he had, and he would use it later for Moses to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness. But it took 80 years for Moses to become the man that God had called him to be. Can you imagine being 80 years old and called to lead a nation of slaves? This is all they'd known as slavery, a nation of slaves out of Egypt across the wilderness to form a nation. Well, that's what God did with an 80-year-old man. Never, ever, ever underestimate what God can do in your life. Are you listening? Never underestimate what God can do with you. The purpose of God, God's plan for your life, it is in your DNA. You are a son or a daughter of God. Listen to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery upon you. So friends, let me just ask you today, before I walk you just through a few moments of growth work here, is rise up. Rise up in the name of Jesus Hit your knees in prayer. Walk and pray. I I tend to do better when I'm walking and praying. But come to God. If you're in a daily grind and you feel like you're not being fruitful, the Lord will lead you the way he did Eleazar. Secondly, become irritated with the way things are if if your life is not flourishing. Become irritated with it. Don't don't blame anybody else. Don't get mad at other people, but just say, I'm not going to be satisfied with this any longer. God has something better for your life. God is bigger than your problem. God is bigger than any challenge that you're facing. And God, I know it sounds trite, but it is so true. God does have a wonderful plan for your life. So let's wrap this up. A friend of ours who was our district youth director, our state youth director when Becky and I were teenagers, his name was Jerry Bray. Later when I would serve in that same position, he said to me, he said, remember three things. Number one, look up. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion, prayer, and intelligence in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Love God with everything you've got. If you're a student, study hard. Be a witness for Christ. Be a part of a campus ministry. Be a part of the local church. Don't tolerate mediocrity and don't make excuses Go hard after God. Look up and love him. If you're a father or mother, parent in the name of Jesus. And for the, lead your children to Christ. Pray with them. Husbands, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Don't come home demanding to be served, but serve her. Isn't this what Jesus said? I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Come home and love your family and serve you. I know I'm tired. It's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit, but he will help you. And wives, Respect your husbands. Wives, I think the one thing that men crave more than anything else from their wives is their respect. And we want to live lives worthy of trust and respect. But your trust transforms us. Your trust helps us to live a better life. So ask yourself two questions. Do you long to know God better? Do you long to love God more? And do you long to serve God more? Secondly, Jerry told me, he says, Dennis, look within. 
Search your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to, kind, to constantly search you. Look at Psalms 139 and verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, just pause here because I'm going to take a little more time with this here than I did on Sunday morning. God's Holy Spirit is like a searchlight in our hearts. He searches out those places that sometimes we've hidden from ourselves, we've repressed, or sometimes we've forgotten. And if we will allow God, He will not only search out our hearts, but God will cleanse our hearts. There, I found myself this weekend before I preached here on Sunday morning. I said, Holy Spirit, would you just blow through my life like a rushing mighty wind, the way Acts chapter 2 describes it? Would you blow out every corner of my life? Would you blow out any place where stuff is accumulating that shouldn't be there? And that whole idea came to me while I was blowing off the driveway and our front porch on uh, this weekend. When I hit the corner of the porch and the blower and all this dust started blowing out of there, I was like, Holy Spirit, blow through my life. Second thing is, if there's anything in my life that offends him, I want it. Can you put that scripture back up on the screen for me? If there's anything in my life that offends him, I want the Lord to point that out in my life because I want nothing between my soul and Savior. And then remember what Eliezer prayed? He says, Lord, you have led me. I want God to lead me along the path of everlasting life. I've walked in des deserts and I've walked by some of the largest rivers in the world. I want to walk along the path of righteousness. So, Here's my question for you on this one. Do you enjoy life? Is life a joy for you? And do you understand this? Holiness is happiness. You ought to say that. Holiness is happiness. What's not to be happy about? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and long-suffering and self-control. I mean, if I could go on and on. What's not to be happy about all of that? That's what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is. And then finally, look around you. Look around you. Look at the people around you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your small group, but also look at those that you know. They want to be your friend. They want to be a part of your life. People that are not even followers of Christ yet that you could befriend. In Matthew 23 and verse 39, Jesus said, the second greatest commandment, a second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Are you in community? Are you doing life with a small group of people? Are there lost people that you're building relationships with? Are you being generous? Are you becoming more generous with your money? Uh, let me ask you to consider something. Our church feeds hungry people every day. Our church feeds people here. Our church feeds people abroad. We support missionaries. We support pastors who are going to school, paying for college education. As a matter of fact, we're getting ready to build three brand new churches in the Balkans. Three brand new churches. We've already raised the funds, and we're just waiting on the missionary to give us the, the directions of how to be able to do that. So, brothers and sisters, are we growing in our generosity? God has blessed us. And so I've asked us to, you know, if you make $50,000 a year or more, would you start thinking about giving an additional 5% above your tithe to missions? Maybe you can't get there right now because maybe you haven't managed your finances to the place where you could do that. But you could start maybe at 1% extra or 2% extra and work your way up to 5%. If you make $100,000 or more a year, would you consider giving 10% of your income above your tithes and offerings? 
And let's grow in generosity. Here's a couple of things that God says. If we are generous with God, God will be generous to us. God will see that we are replenished so that we have more to give and we have more left over. But the more we hoard and keep for ourselves, the more our finances shrivel up. It's that same principle of dying to ourselves. I'm not, it's, this is not money that we will keep at Woodland. This is money that we will use to minister in the name of Jesus around the world. Well, as I wrap this up and before I pray for you, let's go back to Eleazar for just a second because I think his is a wonderful story. What you may not know about Eleazar is Abraham had prayed when he became an old man. They hadn't had a son yet, and he says, Lord, if you don't bless me with a son like you said, then my servant Eleazar, he's going to inherit everything. Now imagine, you're Eleazar. You know that you're going to inherit all the wealth and the riches. Abraham was a wealthy man. He was an influential man. Kings came to Abraham. He was a powerful man. And Eleazar would have inherited it all. But God answered, Eli answered Abraham's prayer. God kept his word to Abraham. And rather than be bitter about God's blessings to his master and to his master's son, Eleazar loved God and he served God knowing that it cost him everything to do so. But I promise you, Eleazar was more than amply rewarded in this life and when he stood in the presence of Christ. As your pastor, I want that more than anything for you, that when you stand before Jesus, you hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you so much, and I thank you for this opportunity to get to share this message again. Lord, I've been blessed just sharing it, and I pray that you will use this word, God, to encourage us and to strengthen us in our faith of where we go from here. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Have a great evening.